The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. Well, welcome to Gospel City Church, everyone. My name's Nick. I'm a covenant partner here. Um, it is a delight to see so many people here, and it is a delight to preach through uh, Nehemiah, chapter 3 through 6. I know I was giving it a hard time earlier, but it's truly this wonderful passage. So um, before we get any farther along, let me go ahead and pray for our time, and then we'll go from there. Father God, thank you for... Um, thank you for this day, Lord God. Thank you for bringing us here to worship in community, to worship as, as a people that are so, so grateful to you, Lord God. Um, grateful for life, grateful for the air we breathe, the food we ate, the coffee we may or may not have had before the service, um, the voice to sing your praise, um, thank you for your word, Lord God, um, in which we can learn more about you and your goodness. Thank you for the cross upon which um, we are saved through the blood of Christ, Lord. Lord, be with us. Help us to hear your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to um, be challenged and convicted by it, Lord God. And help us to be motivated to... Um, to live more in accord with, with um, the way that you've instructed us to live, Lord God. Um, be with me. Give me words to, words to speak, Lord God. Um, and just thank you again for everything you've done for us. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. All right. Well, we all love stories of perseverance, Right? Stories where the little guy, he works hard, he puts on his boots, he, he strives to try to overcome these impossible odds, and he does it by persevering, right? Some of us have uh, watched and are big fans of the movie Rocky, uh, this boxer who goes through these insurmountable odds to defeat the world champion boxer at the time. Um... And this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about perseverance. Um, specifically, we're talking about perseverance when it comes to mission. Um, the mission that we as Christians are called to live. So we're going to be dividing our time into three parts. The mission worth fulfilling, the mandate for persevering, and the muscle behind persevering. So the mission worth fulfilling, the mandate for persevering, the muscle behind persevering. And what we'll see today is that in order for us to really live on mission, we can't do it on our own. We have to have something else. We have to be supported and empowered by something else. The mission worth fulfilling, the mandate for persevering, the muscle behind persevering. Let's take a look at point one, the mission worth fulfilling. 
So Chris Abner gives us all these great stories about sports and how he used to play sports and how he used to go to all these sporting events and, you know, all that fun stuff. I don't have any of that. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry to disappoint you. My younger life looked a bit different, and that's okay, or at least I tell myself that. Um, growing up in high school and even into university, I was involved in theater. Okay, I was involved in music, theater, vocal performances, all that sort of stuff. Um, and it was a, if you will, it was a team event. Okay, um, and for those of you all that watch movies, you know this, right? Um, you can have a really good actor, one actor, but if the rest of the actors aren't really that great, and the story's really not that great, and the cinematography's not really that great, the movie's not gonna be really that great, right? Same thing with theater, okay? Um, I can give it my all, but if I don't have a, a, a supporting team next to me, who's giving it their all, it's not gonna be that great. Because in theater, we all had, a gr had one mission. That was to um, persevere and to put on a great show. Well, here in Nehemiah chapters three through six, the Jews, that is the Old Testament people of God, likewise had a mission. It was to rebuild Jerusalem's walls. These walls had been in ruins since the Babylonians destroyed the city and exiled the people about 140 years before this. And now the time has come for them to put on their work boots and get to work and rebuild that wall. Well, it was important that these people rebuild the wall for a couple reasons. First, well, it was a it was important for defense, okay? Jerusalem was surrounded by people that hated them, as we'll see in a couple minutes. Um, and during that time, if you wanted to defend yourself against an external threat, you would build walls to keep them out. So the first reason was defense. The second reason for rebuilding the wall was theological. You see, God had promised that he would bring his people back to Jerusalem from exile. And from there, all the nations would be blessed for God's glory. And we see this in places like Micah chapter 7, verses 11 through 12, where the prophet, he prophesies on behalf of the Lord that a day would be coming for the building of your walls. He's talking about Jerusalem here. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended, in that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. Well, this passage in Micah foretells a coming time when God's salvation would be revealed in Jerusalem for all of the people of the world to experience. And so, again, here in Nehemiah, the time has come. When the Jews started rebuilding the wall, what they were actually doing was they were partnering with God as he pursued his mission to bring salvation to the world.
We even see this to a small degree in chapter 6 when Nehemiah writes that those from the surrounding nations sat at his table. That was a really nice way to say that the people from the surrounding nations, they were starting to see what God was doing in Jerusalem and they wanted to be part of that. That was the mission of the Jews during this time. But also notice how the Jews fulfilled their mission. They partnered together as God's people to see the mission completed. Nehemiah, uh, we hear his name a lot, we hear him speak a lot in uh, in this letter, but, you know, he didn't build the wall on his own. He wasn't the only one responsible for it. Yes, he played, a determined, he played a very important role in inspiring the Jews to rebuild the wall, and he encouraged them along the way, as we saw in uh, 3 through 6, and we'll, we'll see. But it took a people. It took a congregation. It took the people of God in the entirety there to rebuild the wall. It was a team effort. No team member was prioritized or belittled. You, you guys listen to the passage. No one group was prioritized or held in greater esteem. Nehemiah didn't say, oh, those great priests, they did a great job. Every member of the community had a valuable and crucial role to play. Now, I won't list all the people in, involved here. Um, I'd have to reread chapter 3 in its entirety, and I don't really want to do that, and you probably don't want me to do that either. So, um, But notice that we have priests. We have people that were already inhabiting Jerusalem. We have local government magistrates and their families. We have people from Gibeon and Jericho and Judah, basically people that lived um, in the nearby vicinity but didn't live in Jerusalem. We have goldsmiths. We have perfumers. And they all voluntarily contributed to the mission by way of their effort, their time, their physical labor, and their skill set. Now, moving from Nehemiah's time to the New Testament, we see the mission of God's people is the same. To partner with God in his mission to bring salvation to all people of the world for his glory. And we see the way that it's undertaken. Well, in the New Testament, we see in the Gospel of Luke that the author informs his readers that Jesus is financially supported by a group of wealthy Jesus followers. Later in Luke 9, Jesus sent out his disciples in pairs to bring the good news of God's salvation and physical healing to the people. We see this in the book of Acts in chapter 13, where the apostles Paul and Barnabas are sent out by who? They didn't go by themselves. They were sent out by the church to bring good news of God's salvation. These apostles were prayed for. Their hands were laid on them, and they were sent out. The truth is that this mission of God's people had always been meant to be done in partnership with God's people. And you know, that's not, that's not just true for the Old Testament, the New Testament. 
It's true for now as well. We as the people of God are meant to live out our mission to bring God's life-saving message to all people in partnership with God's people. And every kind of service is vital in accomplishing this mission. I'll give you a couple examples. This isn't exhaustive, but um, here at Gospel City Church, members are called covenant partners. The idea being that you are not just coming to a Sunday service and going back to live out your week in isolation. The idea is that we here at Gospel City Church have covenanted together. We've, we've agreed when you become a covenant partner here or a member here, you have signed and agreed that you would support and serve one another on Sunday as well as throughout the week. We w- that we would remind each other of the gospel. That we, would, that we would make the gospel known to others. Now, many of us are doing that today as we hold our Get to Know You GCC chat, a time where newcomers and those considering becoming covenant partners can learn more about Gospel City Church and what we're about and our plans for impacting this part of KL with the gospel. Well, that's one example. If you are here and you're helping with Sunday school, well, you're vital. You are a vital part of this mission because you help shape kids' lives and give parents a much-needed opportunity to hear the gospel message and be encouraged by the people of God. If you are here and you are ushering, you are a vital part of this mission because you serve people. You help them see the gospel in a practical way through your service. If you lead us in repentance prayer, thank you. I cannot tell you how many times the prayer on Sunday convicts me of my own specific sins, leads me to repentance, and reminds me to pray for a specific people group. And so the question is for us today, Are we living out our mission as God's people? Are we living out our mission as God's people? Are we actively striving to do it with community? This is the mission worth fulfilling. So my first point, mission worth fulfilling. Let's take a look at the second point for today. The mandate for persevering. Well, one of my favorite Will Smith movies uh, was The Pursuit of Happiness. Came about about came out about a decade ago. It's, a, it's this uh, story about this guy in uh, San Francisco in the U.S. and um, He was kind of this guy that tried really hard at things, but he, he, nothing worked out. He stumbled upon this opportunity to become an intern at Goldman Sachs, a, a major um, government or a major financial institution in the States. And um, he took the internship and he somehow found a way to juggle being homeless, caring for his kid, as well as excelling in the internship over the next um, stretch of time. He was eventually hired by Goldman Sachs and went on to become a successful financier and open his own firm and um, 
and they lived happily ever after. It's this great story of persecution, or sorry, perseverance. <laughs> he probably thought he was being persecuted during the movie. Um, perseverance. Um, he, it's, it's staggering to see what he went through during the movie um, in order to find success. Well, we're going to see a little bit of that here in Nehemiah chapters 4, 5, and 6. Well, the wall is well on its way when we get into chapter 4. The Jews are working hard. They, according to chapter 4, verse 6, have a mind to work. That means they're excited. They're wanting to work towards their mission. And then reality hits. In chapters 4 and 6, the Jews withstand mockery and insults. We see this first in chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, where Sanballat, the governor of the nearby Samaria region, mocks the people's efforts mocks their confidence in their own wall-building activities, and his little associate, uh, Tobiah, joins in on these insults, and he taunts them, saying, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Basically, that's a fun way of saying that uh, these, this wall that they're building isn't strong enough that a small to medium-sized creature couldn't knock it down. It's that flimsy. Well, the people apparently hear these taunts. That is, the, the people of God. Or at least Nehemiah does. But they ignore the taunts. In, later on in chapter 4, verses 7 through 15, Sanblat, that governor of Samaria, he threatens the Jewish mission with threats of violence. That apparently gets so serious that, that Nehemiah 4.10 tells us that Jews living in the countryside urge their relatives and friends to leave Jerusalem for their safety. These threats continue in chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, and again in 6.15 through 19, where Sanblat and his associate Tobiah send letters to Nehemiah trying to blackmail him into stopping construction of the wall and stop construction of Jerusalem. Because if he didn't, they'd tell the king that he was revolting against the Persian Empire and he crowned himself king in Jerusalem. Well, Nehemiah refuted all of these accusations and he refused to play any of these games and he continued building the wall. In chapter 6, verses 10 through 14, the Jews endure acts of deception when the false prophet hired by Sanballat warns Nehemiah of a phony assassination plot against him and encourages Nehemiah to go hide in the temple, but not just the temple, the, the holy place of the temple, that place where only priests could enter. Well, they did this in order to tarnish Nehemiah's name and to try to accuse him of being a heretic and try to kick him out of this project. Well, Nehemiah refuses, and so Sanballat's strategy fails. And then we, get, and then we go back a little bit to chapter 5. 
And we see economic opposition. Not, from, not coming from the outside, not coming from Sanblat or Tobiah or anyone else, but coming from the Jews. Look with me at chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. You see, the opposition faced here is from wealthy Jews. Wealthy Jews from the community who have the poor people in that community entrapped in this form of economic slavery. Chapter 5, verse 3 tells us that there was a famine in the land which forced families to mortgage, mortgage their land to Israeli noblemen in exchange for food. And additionally, to borrow money from these same noblemen to pay their taxes to the Persian Empire that they would normally pay with the goods of their fields. But since there was a famine, there were no goods, and they had to borrow money to pay taxes. These noblemen, the passage tells us, would charge hefty interest on these loans, which just pushed the Jews into deeper debt in which it would be really, really difficult to recover from. It would be the same thing as, uh, in today's terms, as taking out a bank loan to pay taxes and then taking out another bank loan to pay off your initial loan. Now, in today's terms, if you were to, to default on a loan, you'd probably have a tax collector call you and your life would be pretty inconvenient. It would lead to further anxiety in your life. You may not be able to buy a house or a car later on, but you know, at least you'd be able, at least you'd have some semblance of freedom. But back then, if you could not pay your taxes, if you could not repay your loans, you would be sold into slavery until you paid your loans off. In other words, you would become the nobleman's slave. Now, this represented a huge problem. It represented a huge problem because in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 2, some people were getting ready to leave the wall-building project because they needed to go find work. But more importantly, it meant that the community was ignoring God's laws, which prohibited the enslavement of fellow Jews and the collection of interests on loans granted to fellow Jews. So out of the greed of the noblemen, 
they threaten their people and its mission for their own benefit. Well, Nehemiah takes charge and he helps the noblemen. Um, he helps, he, he forces the noblemen, is probably a better word, to see their error in their ways. We, we read, and they were speechless. They didn't know what to say when he revealed to them how they were sinning against their fellow Jews. And he forces them to return the land to the poor. So they do. And Nehemiah 5.13 states that everyone rejoiced and blessed the Lord as a result. So we have economic oppression. We have slander. We have violent threats. In each of the above situations here in 3 through 6, the Jews persevered against opposition in order to live out their mission. And in the New Testament, Christians are as well called to persevere while on mission. Jesus calls on his disciples to pick up their cross, that is to sacrifice their own way of living and their comfort to follow Jesus. We see this many times. Mark 8 um, as well as in the rest of the, as well as in Matthew and Luke. Jesus calls on his disciples to pick up their cross, to sacrifice their own way of living. We see in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, that Jesus calls on his people to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Notice he does not say until times get difficult. And then you can quit. No. Jesus' followers are often oppressed severely while they, are, while they are on mission. James, the brother of John, is beheaded. Stephen is stoned to death for his faithfulness. The Apostle Paul is thrown in jail in multiple times. He's beaten. He is stoned and left for dead. All because they lived out their Christian mission. And they persevered in that mission even when times got tough. And for Christians today, the need for persevering in mission is true for us as well. We have the call to persevere in the end. In fact, Revelation chapter 3, um, Jesus is communicating with uh, the churches and he says, uh, to those that overcome, that is to those that persevere, they will inherit eternal life. They will inherit a crown of righteousness. And so my question for us today is, are we persevering in our mission? This is the mandate for perseverance. And so we have mission worth fulfilling, mandate for persevering, Let's move to point three, the muscle that is the ability to persevere. But, but you see, me standing up here, it's really easy for me to tell you to just persevere, right? Just, just persevere, just do it. But it's a lot harder 
to actually do it. Let me give you an example. So I've been here in Malaysia for nine years. Um, I've seen a lot of interesting things. I've seen a lot of strange things. Um, very early on, just a couple months into my time here, I was leading a Sunday school. And um, I, can't, I can't remember our conversation, but I think I, was teaching, I think I was teaching the students about Calvinism or something like that. Um, five points of Calvinism, you know, something like that, you know. Um, teenagers, yeah, yeah, 13-year-olds. No excuse, they need to know it. Um, I, I do that to five-year-olds too. Um, uh, my son's 10 months old and... Never too early, right? Um, <laughs> anyway, afterwards, one of our Sunday school teachers came up and um, she didn't like the five points of Calvinism, to, to put it mildly. She called me the Antichrist. Um, that was hard. That was harsh, man. Um, I, I sat there meditating and, you know, I really wrestled with that. I really struggled with it. Um, it led me to question, you know, what I was teaching. It led me to question my role here, uh, teaching Sunday school. It led me to question all sorts of things, right? And now um, the lady that stood up and, and confronted me on that, uh, we're, we're friends now. We're good friends. You know, we, we shook it off. We, we fixed our relationship after that. Um, but it was hard. It was hard for me to just overcome and move on. Um, in today's world, the people of God face resistance, okay? Um, they face resistance as they go about their mission. Now, going back to the example that I shared with you, I was a punk 24-year-old. Um, I probably needed to be corrected in a whole kind of, lots of things, so, um, but we face resistance as we go about the mission. Well, here in today's world, there are, the world is, uh, there are Christians around the world who face external opposition all the time because of their faith. Earlier we prayed for Israel. Um, we've prayed for uh, different countries every week. Um, I think last week was Turkey. We, we, we prayed for the church there that they would persevere through um, any kind of oppression that they would face. Um, last time I was up here and I gave uh, the repentance prayer, we prayed for Nepal, where um, the Christian communities are actively being oppressed in multiple different ways. Well, here in Kuala Lumpur, Christians don't face the kind of external opposition that they may face elsewhere. Now, we may not face it as harsh, usually, as some other places in the world, but we still face external opposition. For instance, here in the Kling Valley, you might not necessarily experience death threats for being a Christian, But some Christians around the world, that's an everyday experience. Here, you could very well experience uh, insult, mockery. You could lose your job. 
because you refuse to work immorally. You could be ostracized from your friends, your family, because of your faith. And these are all incredibly difficult and painful situations. Very difficult, very painful. And I want to urge you guys that if someone is here in the room and someone that's been their story, I want to ask the Lord to bless you, to encourage you in a way that only he can. I want to encourage you as a brother in Christ. And I want to ask that you seek support from your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who love you and are here for you. Please hear this. But even if that is your story, even if life on mission gets difficult, still the need to persevere remains. And so we get to the heart of the passage, the crux of the question. How can we persevere? How is it that we can endure oppression? How is it Well, this text gives us three ways that we can persevere. And none of it, just FYI to, to play the spoiler here, none of it is from us. None of it is from us. Because if we try to persevere, and we try and we try and try, eventually we're going to get tired. We're going to get exhausted. We're going to skip. Uh, we're, we're going to decide, hey, it's not worth it. And instead of going to an um, early morning prayer group, like this morning, we're going to sleep in. This text gives us a couple examples, a couple ways that we can persevere. For starters, the, the, um, the Jews, they were encouraged by the presence of community. Notice that throughout chapters 4, 5, and 6, the community of God was constantly encouraged by fellow members of the community. They spoke and they acted out of faith in order to bless, support, and encourage one another. We see Nehemiah, for example, encouraging the community amid violent threats here in chapter 4, verses 13 through 14 saying, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. We see the people of God gathering and taking action to support one another through these difficult times, such as in chapter 4, verse 23, when fellow Jews came to guard weak areas on the wall and protect their fellow Jews from the very real chance of being attacked. Note that Nehemiah and his guards here in this story, they were constantly vigilant and they, they were prepared to defend and serve their community. We see the same action to defend and serve the community at play when Nehemiah orders the noblemen to return the land to the poor in chapter 5. 
We also see people within the community demonstrating what it looks like to care and support others in the community with the intention that people imitate them. So they not only accept the blessing and the encouragement and the support, but they actually go out and support and encourage and love on other members of the community. We see this in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 through 19, where Nehemiah states the financial policies that he implements to take care of the people. And his expectation with writing that down, it comes immediately after the story of the rich nobleman. His goal was to provide an example that other people could imitate. Now, jumping from Nehemiah to us today, we are the church. Our mission is the same. The way that we go about and do it is, looks a little bit different. But just as, just as the Jews in chapters 3 through 6, they loved and supported and encouraged each other by way of community, that's our Job. That is our responsibility as Christians today is to defend, support, encourage other Christians as they live out their mission. We see this in Acts chapter 2 where Christians of the Jerusalem church sold their possessions to give the money to the needy in the congregation. Now, the church is not perfect. There will be some times that the church, uh, that people within the church act a little bit more like the noblemen of chapter 5. Let's be honest, right? Where we hurt one another. Where we do more to oppose the mission of God's people than support it. Maybe there are people in the church who um, actively hurt others and try to, whether it be verbally or some other reason. But looking at this room, um, looking at other churches that I've been part of, more often than not, that's not always the case. More often than not, it's more the pain caused by intentionally ignoring the needs of other Christians in the community. And if we really think about it, that's bad too. If I'm honest with myself, I've been in that group. In fact, the past several months, I've been in this group where maybe I haven't necessarily purposely ignored the needs of other people in the, in the church. But that hasn't been on my priority list to, to concern myself with everyone else's needs and hurts. And for that, I need to repent. For this passage has really convicted me of that. That I need to repent. So, for those of you in this room that have been hurting, and 
I have been ignoring that, maybe intentionally or unintentionally. I'm very, very sorry. Because there's no place for that in the church. No place. But God is gracious and God is merciful and he's kind. And if we repent of our sins, then we are forgiven. In the blood of Christ, uh, through the blood of Christ, we are forgiven and we are restored. And when I look out to this community, to this congregation, I see many, many people in this room who have been encouragers, who have supported Lillian and I through difficult times and truly heeded Christ's call to love and serve fellow Christians. And to those people, I say thank you. Because that has been so crucial, so important to us. And that is the call for all of us to support, love, encourage, defend, support others in the community. But you see, notice that that's not the only support that we have here in this chapter or in this passage. We see prayer is, is um, Nehemiah is always praying. He is always praying. He's asking for God's favor. He's asking for God's blessing. He's asking for God's support and, um, and, uh, the, and his favor with the, with the community. And that is for us to imitate. But notice the real reason why the Jews of Nehemiah chapter 3 through 6 were able to persevere the real reason. It's because the God of the universe was with them. Look with me at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 15, where the author writes, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. God had fought for them. Look with me again in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 9, where it is the fear of the Lord, a need to obey him and honor the Lord for who he is, that calls, that sends Nehemiah to go confront the nobleman. It inspires the nobleman to, to return the land to the people. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 6, where Nehemiah resists the plans of his opponents through prayer and by trusting in the Lord, because he knows that the sovereign God of the universe is fighting on his side. See, God had worked on his people's behalf in here in Nehemiah 3 through 6, but also throughout the Old Testament. We see this in Exodus um, we, we see this in the exodus from Egypt where God rescues his people from Israel. Uh, exodus 14.14 14 puts it very nicely. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. And for us as God's people today, 
we have an even greater assurance that God is for us. We have an even greater display of God's love and care in demonstration of his fighting for us. And we see that on the cross on which Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, paid the penalty for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. Right outside of Jerusalem. So that we can have eternal life. So that we could um, be with Christ forever. So that we could be spoiled with grace upon grace upon grace for all eternity. If God is for us, who can be against us? That is the message of Nehemiah 3 through 6. And if we repent of our sins, turn to Christ, then we can have that confidence. We can have that, that energy. We can have the God of the universe strengthening us and fighting us on our behalf so that we can live on mission and partner with God as he brings the good news of salvation to all the peoples of the world. Let's pray. Father God, you are good. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this message. Thank you, thank you that you are a God who supports and strengthens his people. Thank you, for the, um, thank you for the cross of Christ on which you demonstrated that you are for us. Thank you that our sins, if we are in Christ, have been forgiven so that we don't have to bear the punishment of those sins. Thank you that you are for us in such a way that if we are in Christ, you have guaranteed us eternal life and the opportunity to be with Christ for all eternity. Lord, convict us. Convict us of uh, the need for mission in our lives. To live out the mission of God's people. Convict us of the need to persevere in our lives and convict us of the only power that is able to empower us to persevere. Lord, thank you. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.